Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Man, I hope you're as excited as I am. This morning we get to baptize 15 people this morning between the two services. Come on, that's 15 changed lives. This is awesome. I, I, um, this morning's been a bit chaotic on multiple fronts and, you know, we're running around, you know, the computer screen freezes and all that kind of stuff. And can I just tell you, my wife leaned over to me and she said, I love Harvest Ridge. <laughs> Do you know why? Because this ain't about a production, and it isn't about a show. It's about Jesus Christ being elevated as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we get to do this together. We get to have our lives change. We get to impact the world by the little things we do together. We get to, we get to do this together. As some, all right, I'm excited. I'll tell you what happens. We just came back from two weeks. Uh, one week, the first week, we were with Bob and Aaron Stetz, who used to be on staff with us. They're missionaries now. They live in Germany, trying to reach out to uh, Switzerland, trying to break through there. And uh, we went to their church about, what, six years ago? We were at their church. And I went to the church. Pastor Bob had just arrived there, and that was the church he was attending. And I went to a service, and I was like, I don't want to go back. <laughs> Well, they made him the pastor of the church this missionary term, and we went back and we visited with them. And I walked into that place, and there was life. Uh, there was freedom. There was joy. There was celebration in the presence of God. There was encouragement and strength. And I said to my wife, this is a different place now. It was fun. It was fun. It's nice when the church is fun. It's nice when our lives are fun, you know. I, just real quick, uh, just one other thing. We spent a week touring the historical sites in Italy. What is it that took a dude who was crucified on a cross by Roman oppression on the backside of the Roman kingdom? that caused the most powerful empire ever in the world to fall to this dead dude in 300 years. What happened? Everywhere you go, everywhere you go in Rome, there's a church and a cross. Everywhere we went in Italy, there were churches, there were crosses. How did some guy crucified on the backside of nowhere change the world? Well, not only is our story true of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but when we embrace the teachings of Jesus, we embrace the attitudes in the gospel, we then can change the world. So what I want to talk to us about today is one of those attitudes that you and I don't want to change, but we need to. Uh, this sermon is about disputable matters. And I started preparing this message, and I prepared the entire message to talk about disputable matters from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And then I got into it, 
And yesterday morning, I woke up and I was praying and reading my Bible. And as I was sitting there, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and said, they don't care about eating meat. You are not concerned about disputable matters like that. You might be if I were to talk about abortion or homosexuality or things like that. But are they disputable matters? I don't What do you do with that? Uh, that doesn't fit in disputable matters. Maybe we'll talk about that stuff next week. All right. So what are disputable matters? And then I realized, what if I just took matters off the end? I talked about what happens when you're in a dispute. <laughs> what is the attitude we need to have when we're in a dispute? Anybody ever been in a dispute? Your boss, your kids, your parents, your self. <laughs> Have you ever gotten in a dispute with yourself? Me every day, yeah. All right. So we're going to do it this way. We're going to read our scripture for, for 1 Corinthians. And then after we read our scripture, I'll tell our jokes and we'll jump in the content. How does that go? Are you all ready? Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is our key verse for understanding the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of you do what? Agreed. What are we talking about today? Disputes. disputes. How do you agree when there's a dispute? That you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. It's not that we all think exactly alike, but that we learn to agree without division. That you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That we all think the same way. Now, we don't have to think the same way about every detail, but we do have to think the same way. And you think the same way by submitting this mind to Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about is how do I submit my mind to the mind of Christ? And I got to try to do this in 30 minutes? There isn't any way under God's green earth. All right. All right. Y'all ready? Jesus, help. Best prayer in the world. Help. Fill this house, fill your people with your glory. And let us shine the light of Christ on a world so desperate for the truth we have. Amen. Amen. Would you turn to somebody close to you, give them a high five, big smile, tell them, you look good today. All right, you may be seated here. Um, so why do you wear two pair of pants when you go golfing? In case you get a hole in one. You know, golf is a lot like taxes. You go for the green, and you always wind up in the hole. <laughs> All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let's talk about this. The context of 1 Corinthians 8, and by the way, I visited a city this week, uh, last week, that just really changed my view of how I viewed the early, uh, early church and early world because I literally walked through Pompeii, which is a town that was destroyed by a volcano in two days, 21 feet of 
of ash dumped upon it so the entire town was kept intact and we walked through and we saw what a city looked like in the first century i mean preserved well enough that the paintings on the wall you could still make out what they were and maybe later on we'll talk about how that applies to some things we read in the bible that's uh, why you send me on these trips right so I get a chance to learn so I can help us learn, all right? First, uh, first Corinthians 8. So first of all, Cor Corinth was a pagan city. There were idols and temples everywhere. Now these temples, what they had was they had to, well, at a temple you offered a sacrifice. And what was a sacrifice? Well, a sacrifice would be some kind of meat. And so what they would do is if you were going to have... Let's say you're going to the temple of Aphrodite, for example, as the goddess of love, and you're going to get, you want love, and you and your family, you want love. So you go to Aphrodite's temple, and you go there, you take a cow with you. Now, when you get to the temple of Aphrodite, and you sacrifice a cow, you and your family of eight or ten that are there, how many are with you, you take a portion of that cow when you sacrifice it. What do you do with a cow? I mean, anybody seen a cow? A cow's pretty big, right? You take it, you cut up part of it, you give that cow to the temple, to the priests, so they got meat, and they take some of the meat and sell it for themselves. And then what do you do? You take your meat, the portions you want, you know, like the ribeye, ribeye's mine, all right, take the ribeye and you grill that sucker and at Temple of Aphrodite you have your grilled ribeye and you celebrate with your family and you have a big meal, but that meal is only one day in one moment and you gave your portion to the temple and then you got your portion of meat you ate. What do you do with all the hamburger that's left over? Well, I tell you what you do. They take it from the temple because you can't, you know, there's no refrigeration in the first century. Do y'all know that? No, no refrigeration? And we've been to Corinth, and it is hot. It is hot, and there are flies. And guess what happens is that hot and flies mean that within a day, there's going to be maggots all over that meat. Y'all follow me? So what do you have to do? You, that day, you have to sell or consume the meat. So they then would take the meat from that animal or the goat or the cow or whatever it may be that you sacrifice. They take the meat, part of it goes to the priest, part of it goes to your party, and then part of it the temple takes and they have a, a Aphrodite butchers back behind the shop and that's where they sell the excess meat. Are you all following me? So let's say you live in Corinth and you're hungry and you, you want to make, make some burgers. All right? It's burger night at the Crow household in Corinth. Where do I find hamburger meat? Where, where do I find it? Where? I gotta go to a butcher shop. Because I'm not gonna kill a whole cow for one meal, right? Are y'all following me? Are y'all awake? Yes. All right, you gotta follow me here because what you do then is if you're going to eat a hamburger for dinner, you don't have refrigeration to keep it, so you go down to Aphrodite Butchers and you get a chunk of meat and you take it home and they've already ground it for you, so you get, you know, it's like going to Giant Eagle or something. Aphrodite Butchers, Giant Eagle, they're one and the same. <laughs> so this is where 1 Corinthians chapter 8 comes into the problem. This is the context, because Jewish believers had learned something. So the church at Corinth was partly Jewish and it was partly Gentile. And the Jewish believers in the church had learned the lesson from the Babylonian captivity. And the lesson from the Babylonian captivity is you don't mess around with other gods. And Aphrodite is a what? A little G-God. Are y'all following me? 
And the Jewish believers know you don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's not kosher. It's not clean. It's not pure. You don't do that. God doesn't like it when we play around with other idols. And the last time we did it, we got sent into Babylonian captivity and we all died. And I don't want to do that again. And we learned the lesson in Babylonian captivity. Jewish people are devoted to God, Yahweh only, nobody else, period. Are y'all following this? All right, and if you go down and you buy your hamburger meat down there, well, then you're saying that I recognize Aphrodite as being valid, and by recognizing Aphrodite as being valid, I then sacrifice my conscience and my future. Oh, man. So the Jewish people were that way. Now, Jewish kosher is still in effect today. Do y'all know that? Yeah. So I was at the mall years ago, and I was doing my Hebrew flashcards back when I was learning Hebrew. And uh, I was doing my flashcards, and a dude saw me, and he looked over at me, and he said, that's Hebrew. And I said, yeah. So we started a conversation. I said, you're, you're, uh, you're uh, Jewish? And he said, yes, I am. He said, eventually in our conversation, he said, my mom told me. She said, I want you to be a good Jewish boy. I want you to grow up and not, I want you to go to synagogue and not eat cheeseburgers. What does it mean to be a good Jewish boy? Apparently, go to synagogue and don't eat cheeseburgers. I'm like, don't eat cheeseburgers? And yeah, because um, Exodus chapter 23, 19 says, don't cook a goat in its mother's milk. That means you don't eat the meat and the milk at the same time. That's Jewish kosher. Aren't you glad you're not a Jew? (laughs) Cheeseburgers and God, Holy Spirit, they're one and the same. I'm telling you, good cheeseburger. Live a couple weeks without one. First thing we wanted was a cheeseburger. You can only eat so much pizza, people. All right. All that say, Jewish kosher laws are what has separated the Israelites for years and years and years. And that's, oh, by the way, there's a lot going on in Israel right now. Can we just stop and pray for the peace? The scripture says that we should pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem and for Israel. Could we do that? Father, I pray right now whatever's going on, and you understand all the things that are going on behind the scenes as well as the things we see on the, uh, the headlines of our news cycles. And we ask that you would bring peace to Israel. And we pray that you would not only bring peace to Israel, we pray that you would bring salvation to Israel, that they would accept their Messiah, Jesus Christ the Lord, and that you would destroy the works of the enemy and that you would bring peace to your people, both near and far And God, we pray that you would stop the attacks of the enemy and bring freedom, we pray. Amen. All right. So, Jewish kosher laws set them apart. But guess what happened? Most of the people that were in the Corinthian church, they were not Jewish. They were actually Greeks that were, most of them were slaves who had earned their freedom. Remember we talked about that. So these are guys that they're like freewheelers. They have been slaves. They, they worked hard. They got their freedom. And man, they don't have a past with God. They've got a past with God's in control. And they don't like control because they've been under it. And now they get a chance to go down to Aphrodite Butchers and get some hamburger meat and cook it at home. And they're saying, hey, I, I don't have this conflict because... Because I know, and we'll read these words, I know there's only one God and Aphrodite ain't it. So why do I need to live under your compulsions, you Jewish people? Are y'all following the tension here? So there's a fight in the church about how we act and behave over eating hamburgers from Aphrodite butchers. So since Christianity grows from the roots of Judaism, though, these restrictions became a part of the fabric of Christian right and wrong. 
whether it was right or wrong or not. Like anybody, you ever had somebody tell you, getting a tattoo's a sin because the Bible says don't mark your body. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, my question is, that's a part of the Christian right or wrong that people developed, but what about the verse before that that says, don't cut this portion of your hair? And all of you guys that cut this portion of the hair, you're just as guilty of breaking the law as if you've got a big old tattoo of mom on your arm. Yeah, so what's, what's going on here are these tensions with how do we read the Old Testament restrictions as New Testament followers of Jesus. Now, all that being said, this was such a problem that the first church business meeting in Acts 15 was held to decide the official position of the church. And the official position is Gentiles don't have to obey the restrictions of food that Jewish people do. Thank you, early church. All right. Also, these newly converted Gentiles didn't have the history that Jewish people have, and they also had commands from Jesus, from Paul, and even the declaration of the church themselves. So now there's this tension in the church between the Jewish people and the people who sort of get caught into... Man, it still happens today. People who still get caught up thinking we got to obey all the law. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to obey all the law. The righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I just quoted the Bible back at you. You don't have to obey all these rules. Thank God Jesus died to take those rules and to fulfill them, complete them. All right. So what do we know then about eating food sacrificed to idols? Y'all, y'all got your seatbelts on? I got three pages of notes. I got a couple of minutes. Let's go. First thing we know is knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Everybody say that with me. Knowledge puffs up. (laughs) Uh, When I thought of this, I was thinking about some things this past week of people who pretend they're something they're not. And I thought about a person with ILS. Do you know what ILS is? Workout people know what ILS is. Uh, This part of your body right here, this muscle is called your lateral and your lats, when you work really hard and they get big, you know, they sort of bow your arms out. And have you ever seen like a 14-year-old boy walking around like this? And he has what's called ILS, invisible lat syndrome. <laughs> and that's what I think of. Knowledge puffs up like invisible lat syndrome. <laughs> All right. So this part of the Letter begins with Paul's answer to questions. They were asking questions. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. So he's answering a question they had asked him. And he says, we all know that we all possess knowledge. So apparently knowledge is going to be a, a core discussion in the answer to how do we settle disputes. We all possess knowledge. And then he says this, but knowledge does what? puffs up. Knowledge make you pretend. I know a little bit. I know that if I'm a, a strong guy, I'm supposed to walk like this. So I'm going to pretend that I am what I'm not. That seems a little silly, doesn't it? When you see that on a, on a person, you're like, come on, dude, chill out. Right? How about 
What does knowledge do? Well, Paul also is talking in 1 Corinthians 5, just a couple of verses earlier, he's talking about how a little leaven leavens an entire lump of dough. So you take an entire lump of dough, you put a little bit of yeast or leaven in it, and what happens is, is it puffs the whole thing up. And then you go from flatbed pizza to the thick crust pizza. And I will tell you, after a couple of weeks, flat is better. Because puffed up is not so good. All right? Puffs up. It's all bready. It's all airy. And you can take it then and you have to squish it down to get the air out of it. So what does knowledge do? It puffs you up. But love does what? So knowledge is about making me big. Love is about making you strong, you big, you strong. Knowledge is about me. Love is about Come on, everybody say this. Knowledge is about me. uh, Love is about you. And what he's encouraging us to, and this is going to be the core that we're going to come back to again and again and again. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. I love that line. I just love that line. Especially when I'm debating with people online about what the Bible is. Oh, come on. They, They watched a YouTube video, therefore they know everything. Those of you that think you know something, you do not yet know as you ought to know. But whoever loves God, here's the key. If you love God and you love other people, God knows you. And when God knows you, he can give you the direction you need. So most fights I've been in in this life have begun, they've happened because somebody knows parts of the facts. Not all the facts, part of the facts. Um, So... I learned Hebrew several years ago, and there was a person that I knew, they got a Hebrew tattoo. They got a Hebrew tattoo on their arm. And they got all the letters correct. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't get the direction right, because we read left to right, and Hebrew reads right to left. So you know what they put on their arm? Nothing. Do you know why? Because they got the direction wrong. Because they knew enough to get the Hebrew letters, but not enough to get the direction right. And they're foolish now for the rest of their life because of that. Because knowledge puffs you up when you get something and you think you know something you do not yet know as you ought to know. I remember going to seminary. Part of the reason I went to seminary is I got tired of preaching the same sermons the same way. I don't, I don't think you guys understand. I had four-year Bible degree. But they just brainwashed me at CBC. They didn't, they didn't really help me think that much. I had one professor that did, and he got fired. Anyway, I went to seminary, and I realized I'm an idiot. Everything I think I know, I don't know. I only know about 150th of any fact of anything in this world. I know that 1 plus 1 equals 2. Yeah? Yeah, but you get me to f- solve some calculus algorithm or something, I'm lost as a, right? And there's some of you, you have this wonderful knowledge of this much of your world and you think you know everything because you know this much. And what I want to say to you is that your knowledge, if you're not careful, if your knowledge is all about you, all it does is puffs you up so that you think you know this, but you know this. But love does what? It helps you use that knowledge when interacting with other people to give life to everyone. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So Paul presents the Christian option. 
The goal is to love because uh, to love God because when you love, you're known by God. And this love influences you to love the person you're disputing with. All right. Second of all, knowledge is not universal. Knowledge is not universal. Everybody doesn't know everything. We we only know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. I remember I hired a coach years ago. We had a, a, a coach. I had a coach. I have one now. I had one then. I've had several coaches over the years because um, professionals hire coaches. Amateur golfers just go out and slice it and think it's okay. But if you're going to be a professional, you want to make sure somebody's helping you learn how to do it right, correct? So we hire coaches here at Harvest Ridge, and, and uh, we hired a coach. And my coach asked me, why did you hire me? And I said this. Y'all ready for this? This is so smart. You ready? I don't know what I don't know. If I knew what I didn't know, then I would know what I don't know, and then I would do something about it, but I don't know what I don't know, so I can't do anything about what I don't know that I don't know. If you knew how to not get sick, you would probably do it, right? If you knew how, really, how to get ahead financially in this world, you would probably do it, right? If you knew how to have good relationships, you would probably do it, right? All right. Y'all ready? Here we go. A couple of quotes from Paul again. He's quoting them. So then, about eating food sacrifice idols. We know a couple of things. Here's what we know. Notice the quotation marks. An idol is nothing at all in the world, in quotation. So they're saying that this is actually factually. Here's my knowledge. An idol really isn't anything in the world. And we know that there's only one God. There's only... There's no God but one. Are their knowledge points actually true? Yes. Their points of knowledge are actually true. Now, listen to what Paul said. So even, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there are indeed many gods and many lords and small, yet for us there is one, and I want you to notice something here, okay? I highlighted this on purpose. Because there are people that, don't, that say that the Bible never claims Jesus is equal with God. And I want you to read the wording here, okay? Because this is what it says. Uh, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. Do y'all see that? What's the statement made about God? All things came from him and we all live in him. And we know that there is but one Jesus or one Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. Exact same words. What is Paul doing in this statement? He is making God and Jesus one and the same. Just a little point of theology, just reading from the text. I won't capitalize on it too much, but I wanted you to see it. And then he says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificed food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God, little g. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Yes, I got a cold on the train in Italy. All right, so we know there is only one real God. We're no worse if we do not eat and we're no better if we do. So does food really matter? I don't know. What did the Bible, what does the rest of the New Testament say about it? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 20, though, tells us, though, that we should be careful about those sacrifices to other gods because the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. 
and I don't want you to participate in demons. And by the way, this is really weird because this is a direct quote from the book of First Enoch, which is not in your Bible and shouldn't be in your Bible, but I think it's sort of funny that Paul quotes things. Paul was a well-read man. All right, but, all right, some people have weak consciences, but Jesus declared all foods clean. Look at this. It's first, uh, Mark chapter eight, uh, 7, verse 18 says, Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. <laughs> I love it. Junior high boys, you should really learn this, boy, this verse, right? There are a couple of junior high boy verses in the Bible. I always love this one. So when you pass gas, you can just quote Jesus. <laughs> in saying this, what, what's the statement? In saying this, Jesus declared what? All foods are clean. So food sacrifice idols, food not sacrifice idols, whatever food, you know, he declared bacon clean. Praise Jesus for that. <laughs> Shrimp and bacon. Hallelujah. All right. All right, Paul says somewhere else, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, the Spirit clearly says in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So what are some of the things taught by demons? Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. And what do they do? We shut down again. <laughs> well, let me tell you what things taught by demons says. Y'all ready for this? They... Forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which are created to be received with thanksgiving. What do demons teach? Don't marry and you can't eat these foods. I'm not going to make comment on it. I'm just going to say that if you eat your food with thanksgiving, by those who believe and know the truth. Now, he says this, verse 4. For everything God created is good. Everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. So how many foods are clean according to the New Testament? Jesus declared it. Paul declared it. And even says that demon teaching says you can't eat food. All right? So we know the truth. But you remember, though, that what we're talking about now is that Knowledge is not universal. Not everybody knows this. It takes some time. One more. Romans 14, 14 in the New Living Translation says, I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord uh, Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. Not everybody knows this stuff and they still live in their bondages. So what do we do when people, hmm, when we get in a dispute with somebody and we know something they don't know and they know something we don't know? You know, that's where most fights come from, right? I remember getting a fight with my wife. Could have happened yesterday. <laughs> no, I remember getting a fight with my wife. We, if you don't ever fight in your marriage, one of you is not necessary. So we fight because we like to make up. <laughs> yeah, I love to fight because I get to make up. All right, that being said, got in a fight with my wife one time. And she was adamant about something, and I was adamant opposed to it. And then she did this little thing that changed the whole argument. Y'all ready for this? She told me what I didn't know. And when I understood the facts she was basing her argument on, 
instead of just the facts I was making, basing my argument on, guess what happened to my mind? I gave in. <laughs> I changed it. I changed my mind. Because knowledge is not universal, so probably what's happening in some of your tensions and disagreements in this world and disagreements that we have is that People don't know what they don't know, and instead of getting all frustrated with them, why not help them know what they don't know? And y'all ready for this? What if they help you know what you don't know? Instead of defending something, maybe you go, ooh, I was... Ill-informed. You can be wrong. I was just not informed all the way. Yeah, I, I just needed a few more facts. All right. All right, so third, third, act from love. Act from love. Now, there are two bad responses to the question of disputable matters. I had to include this, all right? It's from Romans 14, the passage where Paul is dealing with the same thing. I really didn't want to include it. I wanted to stay with 1 Corinthians, but I had to, had to reach across the breadth of New Testament. I understand I'm dumping a lot of scripture on you today, but I think, I think in understanding as we go through these passages, you're going to see that they basically all say the same thing, all right? Romans 14, 1 through 3. Accept other believers who are weak in their faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes that it's our right to eat anything, but another believer is a sensitive conscience, will eat only vegetables. Now, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on the vegetarians among them. Or the vegans. I guess there are some disputable matters in our culture, aren't there? Hmm. So those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them there are disputable matters there are things that you can take either side of the aisle and you're right there are non-disputable matters where there's only one side of the aisle that's correct are y'all following me here and when it comes to these things that you dispute about that there you have no direct statement from God thus saith the Lord blank what do we need to do we need to act in love we need to act in love. All right. Um, Paul gives us a better way. The better way is found in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're going to read the vast majority of 1 Corinthians 8 today because uh, I, I let the word of God speak for itself and you need to hear it. Here we go. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedoms do not become a stumbling block to the weak. So if you can go to Aphrodite Butchers and you can make you a hamburger based from Aphrodite Butchers, you can go home and eat it. Make sure that you're not like putting up on Facebook pictures of, hey, got this at Aphrodite Butchers, yeah. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say it. We need some sensitivity with what we post online. If you can drink a glass of wine with a meal, there are Christians for whom that is a stumbling block. And why would you ever, ever, as a Christian, trying to be a good witness to this world and trying to have faith and relationship with other people, brag about your drinking habits online? 
You're not thinking about anybody but yourself. Knowledge puffs up, but what happens? Love builds up. By the way, I wish we'd quit living so much of our lives online. It's amazing what happens if you actually are in the situation. <laughs> you can actually do something without a selfie. And, and I'm caught in it too, so I understand. I just feel the tension. But, right? That could be a disputable matter. Where's the line? I don't know. All right. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't they be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Wow. And when you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So in your disputes, if you always got to be right, you're actually sinning against Christ. Ooh, that's good. I should have wrote that down. If you got to always be right, you sin against Christ. That has a nice ring to it. Therefore, if what I eat my... Now notice this. Notice the attitude. Attitude. Attitude is everything. If what I eat causes somebody else to stumble into sin... I will never, ever eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Notice the attitude here is, it's not about me being puffed up, it's about you being what? Built up. That's the attitude. All right, so what do you do? Anybody been in a dispute before and you wanted to win? Come on, you wanted to win it. And, and as a matter of fact, when you had facts presented to you in the other way, you ignored those because you hadn't presented your point yet. Right. <laughs> this is me, all right? All right, y'all know what? Can I, can I read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Good, I'm going to whether you like it or not. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1 says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare err it before the ungodly? Why do you let your fights with other believers get out in public spheres? The reason you do that is because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, and you're not building. You're puffing. Hmm. Do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the entire world? And if you are to judge the whole world, are you not competent to take care of some trivial cases? So what do you do if you got this problem with everybody else? Well, don't you know you're going to judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, why don't you ask for a ruling among the fool in your church? In the Greek, that's literally what it says. Why don't you ask the dumbest person in church to decide... And why don't you submit to the dumbest person in the body of Christ that knows the difference between right and wrong and love and not love? Why don't you ask the dumbest person to help you out? That's why people come to me when they have disputes at this church. <laughs> All right. Uh, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned by the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between, unbelie or between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and that in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits means that you have already been completely defeated. 
Listen to this line. When it comes to disputes, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? What did Jesus do when he was wronged? Father, come on, anybody know what he did? Father, what? Oh, hold on, come on. He said, Father, what? Forgive them. Forgive them. Hold on, in case you're wondering, they don't. If they knew, do you think they would have killed Jesus? If they knew who they were killing, do you think they really would have killed Jesus? No. Father, forgive them. When you're in a fight, you're in a dispute, and you want to win at any cost, you are wrong. Because I have lost most of the fights I've won with that attitude. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? That's what Jesus did. So um, there was a person one time that needed some direction at this church. I've already admitted I'm a loser, so I'm not claiming I'm perfect, but I did this one right. Um, they came in, and maybe I didn't handle the conversation perfectly. I, I was trying to say to this person, why don't you take a breath and chill out occasionally rather than going full force? That's all I was saying to them. I couldn't get through to them that they could just take a breath. And they left this church and they went to another church that was more in line with their behaviors and attitudes and actions. And the church is very close to us. And they went there and they started telling stories about me saying something in that meeting that was taken 100% out of context and wrong. And then I started getting reports about what they were saying about me. Y'all ever been there? You know what I said? Nothing. Do you know why I said nothing? Why not rather be wronged? They found a place to grow. I don't need to malign their character and call them a liar. And I don't need to do that stuff. It's not my job. I want them to be healthy. That's why I had the hard conversation with them in the first place. And they weren't ready to receive it. Maybe I didn't handle it right. I was probably wrong in how I handled it. And I understand that I've got culpability in all of these things. And I don't try to act like I'm perfect. But doggone it, they should have listened. And then they went off and started saying other stuff that wasn't true. And you know what? I, this verse right here. I was reading this verse and it said, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not have things say about you behind your back? Why not rather trust God with your salvation and your honor than you have to fight every fight? Because a little knowledge puffs up. But you know what love does? Love cares about that person more than it cares about me being right. You notice I'm not giving you enough information to know who the heck it was because I don't want you to know. Because it doesn't matter. What matters is some of you are fighting fights. You need to stop fighting. 
you need to start loving. Because how did this backwoods dude from Israel, crucified on a cross as a common criminal, become the conqueror of the most powerful empire in the world because of his followers? believed what he said about when someone slaps you on the right, turn to them left. And if we would live a little bit more like that rather than we got to control and win all the time, we would actually win a whole lot more because we would win hearts, not battles. All right. I got to be done. So how do we handle these disputes? There are three steps. Number one, admit your lack of knowledge. Admit, I don't know everything. Anytime you're in a dispute, the question you should be asking yourself is, what don't I know? Because there's something you don't know. Second of all, act and love. Work for a relationship with the person you're debating with instead of being right. Work for relationship, because in relationship you can eventually work through these issues. And then last of all, always put the other person first because that's how love acts. Now, I ask you a simple question. Is this how Jesus acted? Is this how Jesus acted? He looked down on us. We were at war against him and our sins. And he did this. He admitted that there was a lack of knowledge between us. And what did he do? He came to us to reveal himself and to deal with the lack of knowledge. The second thing, did he act in love? Yes, Jesus at every moment acted in love. He gave his own life for us. And did he put us first? Yes. When he could have called 10,000 angels, he instead suffered and died so that you and I could have freedom. So Jesus had a dispute with us with our sins, and he took the steps to cleanse it and to make it right. So I want to ask you today, are you in a dispute with Jesus right now? If you're in a dispute with Jesus right now, and your sins have not been washed away, it'd be a great day for you to say, okay, God, I admit my part. I don't know how much you love me. And for you to confess your sins and make him your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me real quick. If you're in this place today and that message right there just struck your heart and it's your day to end your war with Jesus and to accept the love, the knowledge of his love and his forgiveness, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand real high. I want to pray with you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes, yes. There are others. Jesus, you see the heart right now turn to you. And I pray in the name of Jesus, these young hearts turn to you. They would find the forgiveness and love and restoration of Jesus. Bring them to new life in you, I pray, forever. Amen. With your head still bowed, i got a question to ask you. As I was preaching this message, there's some of you, you're in dispute. And you're more concerned about winning than you are loving. And the Holy Spirit's made that very clear to you. And you got a, you got a check today saying, I need to put love first rather than win first. If that's you, come on good first step is to acknowledge you're wrong. If that's you and it's time for you to start putting love first, just lift your hand right now. I want to pray with you. Around this room, their hands going up. Yes. Yes. Jesus, help us to love like Jesus loved. And be the people that show the love of God to a world in need. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Amen. Now we get to celebrate. I believe Pastor Jesse's going to come out and he's going to lead us through the next part of our service here.